All right, so we're starting on page 152. We are dealing with the proper sequence of brachos. What is the correct order in which brachos should be made, especially when a person has a variety of foods in front of them? Um, uh, and so it's going to be dependent on four factors. The factors being the importance of the bracha itself, the importance of the food itself, and that's subdivided into two different categories, whether or not it's something that I like versus certain foods are inherently, some foods are more important than others, such as the Shiva Shiva Zaminam. And then there's another, there's a, a completely separate factor, which is that if you have a Dava Shalem, if you have something that is whole and not, not, not broken up in any way, that also has its own significance. So we will deal, we will deal with that. Okay, so let's go back to our introduction on page 152, the concept of Kavada Bracha. The concept of, of properly respecting brachos is a theme which we should be familiar to us. As we, we've learned, we've, talk, we've spoken about this, as we've spoken, we learned that a bracha should be recited with appropriate decorum. You have to, you know, not have other, anything else in your mouth. You have to make sure that you're properly dressed. You make sure that you're standing still. You have the bracha, in, you have the item in front of you, probably not even standing, actually. Sitting is even better, right? One's head should be covered. The mouth should be empty so it can be filled with the bracha, the food of which the bracha is being recited should be held in the right hand. You make a proper preparation, you hold the food right there and you show that you're ready to do that. We spoke about the issue of uh, things like water fountains and things like that, where you can't actually have the food in front of you at the time. And we spoke about those ideas. Those rules, those rule, these are rules pertaining to the manner in which one recites the bracha. But in this chapter, we're gonna discuss the rules of sequence. What is the correct order in which brachos should be made? What is the appropriate way in which, which, which I determine what's more important? So we'll discuss facts to be considered in determining that sequence, the importance of a variety of foods requiring this, a, a variety of foods requiring the same bracha so that the bracha can be recited over the most important food. It, excuse me, also discuss the sequence in which two different brachos should be recited. That if I have, um, let's say, for instance, something that's Boremi Nemozonos, and something that's shahakol, that I should make the mazonas before the shahakol, or I make the berei priya eights before the ha'adama, and that's not necessarily always because of importance. Sometimes it's more also, um, one, of the fact, one of the important factors will be because some brachos are more broadly encompassing. And as we, were, as we mentioned before, the more specific you can get in your bracha, the more kavo, the more, more respect that bracha is generating. So the, the underlying principle is, I want to be as specific as possible, and the more specific I can be, the better off I am. So, one who wishes uh, to eat two foods, both requiring the same bracha, should recite one bracha for both of them. Of course, if I'm going to, if I have two things that are identical in their brachos, I don't want to make a bracha she'en a tzricha. I don't want to have a bracha that's unnecessary, and an unnecessary recitation of Hashem's name is not what we want. So you make one bracha, and you have both things in mind. But reciting a bracha, so... So, um, so um, um, uh, okay, so the question then is, which food should the bracha be recited? Similarly, when eating two foods requiring different brachos, has to decide which food to recite the bracha on first. Brachos are too serious a matter to merely recite them haphazardly. You, are, you have an opportunity now when you're making a bracha. Again, we can always refer back to our, our, our story with the Tanzareba, right? You, if you want to eat the apple, that's your opportunity to eating the apple is an opportunity to make a bracha as opposed to uh, making a bracha, which gives you an opportunity to eat. You, you, you have the possibility, you know, I, I, uh, I want to share this idea, one idea with you that's a, that, that, that really um, dovetails with, with the concept that I said before. Many of you that have 
been, you know, the, those of you that we've we've shared many times the the um after the, the saying, right, that our our job in this world is to manifest spiritual potential in the physical dimension. That means we live in a physical world, we're trying to manifest the spiritual. I want to say that I want to say it the way I heard something from Ray Lapyansky that I thought was very, very wise. And I think it's very, it's very, it's very apropos for understanding this concept even better. And we're having a better understanding that when Hashem, God created a world, we understand Hashem as an infinite being. That means, excuse me, we, we don't understand Hashem as an infinite being. I mean, what I mean by that is, is inf- infinity is something that's essentially beyond us. We understand it theoretically. We don't actually understand it. We don't actually grasp it because by definition, that would be oxygen. That is, Understanding infinity is, an, is, is oxymoronic, right? In, uh, in the very fact that you, if you were to understand it, then it would be finite. It would have limits. It wouldn't be infinite anymore. It's only infinite because you can't understand it. So we have a, a theoretical relationship with the concept of infinity. Similarly, when Hashem creates a finite world, this is a problem that, that many of the Svarim deal with, many of the, many of the, what, what the, George, in, just, you know, philosophically that they struggle with. How is it that you have an infinite God in a finite world? How can Hashem be here in this world? Is Hashem, right? Uh, so, and uh, Okay, this takes us into a, a much bigger debate. You know, the whole idea, um, Mrs. Yamner, as a, as a preschool teacher, Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere. That's not such a simple concept because, because that, 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 that assumes that Hashem is in everything, including in things that are perhaps not appropriate to be receptacles of Hashem. Hashem is the way the Gemara seems to say it. Hashem is there, meaning Hashem is in Shemaim, and he man, runs or manifests or controls this world, or the way that Nefesh Chaim says it, he is the place of the world, meaning he is what, what everything exists in a space. So the space in which the world exists, that's Hashem. Meaning Hashem, without Hashem, the world ceases to exist because just like if I have a glass on top of a table, if I take the table away, the glass falls down and it shatters. If I take Hashem away from the world, the world doesn't have a place to be. Hashem is Mokomoshal. He's the place of the world. But the world is not his place. He's not in the world. That means, here's the, here's the catchphrase to say, to say this, the idea that I'm trying to express simply. We, our understanding of the world is the manifestation of the infinite within the finite. The infinite within the finite. Again, if you stop a moment to pause on that, that sounds a little oxymoronic, but that's essentially what we're saying. We want to express a relationship with Hashem, an infinite being, within the finite, within the, within the physical world. We're manifesting spiritual potential in the physical dimension. The infinite is manifest in the finite. That's our whole reality. Now, with, with that, I just want to say one, one quick thing that's sort of an aside, but it's, it's very important. It's fundamental to our, there are many things in the world that we accept or that we take on that we don't fully understand, right? I, I, go to the, I go to the doctor and he gives me medication. I don't ask him, so tell me, how do those antigens combat the, 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 this in my body? And how does the breakdown of the medication? I, 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 he says this medication is going to make me better. I take the medication. I do what he tells me to do. Hashem tells us that there, we understand that there is, a, there is a manifestation of an infinite being within the finite world. Can we understand? Can we truly wrap our heads around that? No, that's something that's really beyond us. There are things, there are questions that we have a very difficult time answering. When we make brachos, that's part of what we're doing. We're connecting. We're connecting ourselves to that source. We said, we said before, we, we, when, when we started this class a little while ago, we said the concept of baruch is to connect to the source. Baruch means like a brecha, like a spring. I'm connecting to the source. 
If I want to connect to that source, I have to do so in, a, in an appropriate manner. And it's a very serious and, and etc. So that praise has to be arranged in such a manner that the honor of Hashem who has provided us with the food we eat is maximized. We want our physical actions to mirror our relationship with Hashem to the greatest degree possible. So the thought and effort involved in properly arranging the brachos shows the respect and reverence of the bracha. It shows the respect and reverence and it elevates it elevates the physical action, the simple animalistic activity of consuming food into something that becomes a spiritual reality. It becomes, becomes something that I can make myself into somebody that's better, better. So many opinions have been offered by Chazal regarding the proper sequence of brachos. And halachic authorities have also expressed opposing views as to the correct sequence of these brachos. And since it's impossible to follow all the contradictory opinions, there are multiple opinions when it comes to many of these things, we have attempted to comply with the consensus of the commonly accepted poskim, which means, which would basically, in this book, Rabbi Forrest, Rabbi Forrest, Rabbi Forrest is, uh, attempts to follow mostly the opinion of the Mishnah Bura, mostly, mostly the opinion of the Chafetz Chaim, Bishol Meir Hakayin Kagan, who was Nifter in 1933, and he, he wrote what is considered today, at least, at least for our generation, to be the definitive halachic sefer, with regard to these issues dealing, dealing specifically with our day-to-day lives. That Sefer is called Mishnah Brura. I'm sure most of you, I'm sure, have heard of it, right? So this Sefer, Mishnah Brura, is, it is his opinions that we will follow. Many times we will quote other of the super commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch is the code of Jewish law, uh, as laid out by Rav Yosef Cairo. Rav Yosef Cairo lived in, in, the, in, the, in the 15th and 16th, the late 15th, early 16th century in and the major glosses to the Shulchan Aruch are written by the Ramar of Moshe Isilis, who was the Rav in Krakow around the same time, towards the end of his life, the latter half of his life, the, the Beis Yosef lived a very long life, and the Ramar actually lived a very short life. The Ramar died at the age of 38. It's mind-boggling to even think about it. The Ramar wrote glosses on the entire Shulchan Aruch, authoritative glosses as to the, as to the customs of Minhage Ashkenaz, of, the, of Jews, Jews of Eastern European descent, Follow Rabbi Moshe Moshe Isilis as the primary primary authority. He lived only thirty eight years. It's 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 just a, it's mind boggling how much was accomplished by these people and in the in the amount of in the short lives that they have. Yeah, okay, and then that there are super commentaries that follow that. That's the, such as the Magen Avram and the Chayyadim, etc. The final sort of uh, putting together of all of that is in the Sefer called Mishnah Bura, and it's his opinions and his decisions that we tend to follow, at least as a general rule. Not, not always, it's not ironclad. There are times that we'll follow other opinions. There's, a, there's, a, there's another very authoritative um, collection of halachos called the Aruch HaShulchan, written by Rabbar Halevi Epstein, who lived in the 19th, lived in the 19th century as a brother-in-law to, to, to the famous Netziv, um, Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin, the head of the, the Yeshiva in Balazhan. But, uh, but, but the, the, so the opinions of the Aruch HaShulchan, this, 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 uh, this, this Baruch Mordechai Epstein, um, are considered also very, very important, but the Shabrua is, today at least, the primary authority that we will follow. So let's start with, what are the various considerations when it comes to the orders of the brachos? So in determining order of precedence in which foods are eaten, Chazal considered the following factors. A. The bracha itself, meaning certain brachas are deserving to precede other brachas. So, for instance, when it comes to drinks, 
Bari Priya Gafan will always be the first, the first, the first bracha that I will make. When it comes to food, Hamotzi Lachem in Aretz will always supersede any other bracha. Similarly, there are other there are other ways in which the Bari Minei Mazonos precedes other brachas because Minei Mazonos means things that are zon. Mazin means things that provide sustenance. So a bracha, a bracha about things that provide me sustenance and meaning it's focused on foods that are of primary importance in our diet. So those are those are going to be more uh, uh, have precedence over, for instance, a Borepriya Eitz or Borepriya Adama. Borepriya Adama will have a will, will go will go after Borepriya Eitz because since Borepriya Adama is more all encompassing, as we said earlier, not as specific. So therefore, it will come later. Now, certain foods are deemed more important than others and should therefore be eaten before other foods, so that the bracha may be recited over them. Now we're going to talk about how does that have the interplay between that and what I prefer to eat. Let's say I have I personally desire one thing over another. Now, how much does that play a role? We'll also see. So the preference of the person also plays a role. Certain foods may be favored by the person himself and thus deserve to precede other foods which are less desired. So the underlying principle of these three considerations is kavod habracha. Essentially, we're looking to the, the bracha should be the greatest possible expression of our kavod, of our showing um, importance or, or relevance, significance to our relationship to Hashem. The word kavod comes from the Hebrew word kaved, meaning something that's heavy, gets weighty, something that, 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 that um, weighs on my mind. Reciting the most significant bracha on the most important food or the food one most prefers demonstrates respect and reverence for the bracha, and thereby, because I am showing reverence to the bracha, I'm showing reverence to Hashem himself. So, when it comes to the brachos themselves, although all brachos express our gratitude to, to Hashem and desire for his continued benevolence, certain brachos also express specific divine providence. Some brachos are broad in their scope, while others are more specific and are restricted to a particular food or type of food. So, for example, the bracha of shahakol nihiyeh bidvaroi. We make a bracha that everything is here because Hashem's words, Hashem's used his words to create the world. It's all, that, that is an all-encompassing, and it's appropriate for any type of food. However, the bracha of hamotzi lechem min haaretz is restricted to one food exclusively, only bread. That's what we're saying. So, therefore, hamotzi expresses divine providence far more specifically than shahakol. Shahakol says Hashem created everything. When I say Hashem, you not only did you create everything, but you created this specific thing for me. Now I'm relating to it directly as and in and creating a relationship through that bracha that's much more important. So the bracha hamotzi is therefore considered a greater praise to Hashem and consequently should precede any other bracha. The sequence in which brachas are recited follow accordingly. So the degree of their specificity is as follows. Hamotzi precedes all brachos, including mezonos. Mezonos comes second. Third is Barepri Hagafen, again, a very specific bracha about the fruit of the vine. The third bracha, the, the, the fourth bracha after that is Ha'et or Ha'adama. These, in, these, in the opinion of some authorities, a Ha'et should precede Ha'adama since it's more, it too is more specific than Ha'adama. Um, and Ha'adama is valid for both vegetables and fruits, which we'll see later. Other authorities are of the opinion that the difference between the two brachas is too minor to require that a Ha'et be recited first. And therefore, it doesn't make a difference. Whichever one comes to my, whichever I put on my fork first, whichever one I haven't decided to eat first, it doesn't make the part of the proper course of action will be defined below. We'll talk about it. And the last bracha is the most broad and the most all-encompassing of the brachos. 
That is the bracha of Shahako. Now, not only do I have to worry about the brachos and what kind of bracha I'm making, I also have to worry about the food itself. The food, what type of food I'm eating, also changes. So the Shevas Haminim, the seven species, those things with, with which HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which Hashem blessed the land of Israel with, and so those are those have their own specific chashivas, um, their own specific importance, they and, which gives them precedence. And within the Shevas Haminim, I think we spoke about this at length, there's also a chashivas, there's also an importance given in, in a hierarchy to the Shivas Haminim. Those words, the, the ones that come in the first half of the, the Pasuk of the Shivas Haminim is divided into two parts. There's five species followed by another two. So it's Eretz Chito, Usa'oro, Wheat and Barley, Gefen, Uta'ina, Verimon. We have grapes, uh, figs, and, and uh, pomegranates. And then Eretz Shemen, we have a, war, a, a, a land of oil, Zeshem and olive oil. So we have olives. Udvash, Dvash, in the, in the Torah's opinion, Dvash, you know, Dvash we think of as honey, but the Torah is not referring to bees' honey, it's referring to date honey. Date honey is considered the, is, is the last. What we will see is that despite the fact that it's five versus two, the last two actually are more important than the, than the, than the last three in the, in the previous um, iteration of the Shevet Haminim because they're closer to the word Eretz. Eretz chita usa'ora gefen uta'ina v'rimon. Eretz, the fact that the Torah went back and emphasized that this is a product of Eretz Yisrael, is a product of the land of Israel, that also gives it a certain importance. We'll see in a moment. So, since the Torah praises Eretz Yisrael as the land of these products, we can deduce that these fruits are more significant than other fruits. They have, they have a certain, there's something that's special about them more than anything else. That's why, that's why the Torah goes out of its way to give them preferential status to, to talk about them. So, and furthermore, since the Torah listed these fruits in a particular order, we can infer that this is the order of their importance. And But since the Torah interrupted the Pasuk with the word Eretz a second time, so Chazal assumed that a new sequence is started after the second word Eretz. And therefore, accordingly, dates precede grapes as dates are second from the word Eretz, while grapes are third from the word Eretz. And the order of importance of the foods will be as follows. A fruit of one of the Shevas Aminim takes precedence over a fruit which is not from the Shevas Aminim. When both fruits are from the Shevas Aminim, the order of precedence will be as follows as they're listed in the Torah, for, uh, closer to the words Eretz. First you have one is wheat, then barley and spelt, um, um, rye and oats, meaning, meaning included in included in wheat and barley, are what we call the chameshes mine dagon, are the five types of grains, the five types of grains, the five basic types of grains, which really breaks down to two and three, meaning there are there are five types of grains as wheat and wheat and barley, and then there's oats, spelt, and rye. But oats, spelt, and rye are technically subcategories of wheat and barley. They actually are related, each one of them, they're related to wheat and barley, so they fall under the subcategory of wheat and barley, and therefore they're, that's where they're included in the Shiva Saminim. Um, uh, olives, dates, grapes, raisins, or wine, and then figs and pomegranates, pomegranates being last. So the Shivas Aminim are only considered important when they're eaten in their normally edible form, which would mean what he's coming to, what he's really coming to talk about over there, what's not a normal, normally edible form would be olives. All raw olives are not really edible. Taking olives straight off the tree, they really, they don't taste good. So one would not make a one would not make a bereit for instance on raw olives since it's not the normal way to eat them. This 
idea of, of normal, the way fruits are normally consumed, consumed will come back. We will come back to that again. It will, it will make a difference with other things. So for instance, again, and, and the, the, not that sometimes these things are dependent on minagamakam, on the, on the custom of a particular place or a particular locale. So for instance, I believe for the most part in the United States, eating onions raw is exceedingly rare. One does not eat raw onions. You fry them or you cook them, right? Or you do something else with them. Normally you don't eat them raw. The same thing would apply. So for instance, potatoes, right? Potatoes can not only, not only should you not eat them raw, not only do they not, it's not good, it's, they actually have poisons in them that need to be baked. If you eat them before you bake them, uh, you're actually, uh, it's actually very unhealthy. And it's a question whether you'd make any bracha on, on, on raw potatoes. But cooked potatoes, you'd make a very priyadama. Onions, on the other hand, are edible raw, right? But they just don't taste very good. Well, for some people, they don't taste very good. So you would make a shahakal on raw onions and a bari priyadama on cooked onions. Um, you know, there's, there, there, I'm sure there are other fruits we can think of. Um, uh, 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 squash, butternut uh, squash, uh, gem squash. I don't know. What do they call it in this country? They call it gem squash in this country? The green, the green, what are the, what are the green squash called? Um, Zucchini? No, no, Zucchini? not the long ones, the round ones. It's like a round green thing that has a harder shell and you cook it and the inside it's yellow. It's like a pumpkin, almost like a, it's like a pumpkin. It's a, it has a texture like a pumpkin, but more like a pumpkin. Acorn uh, squash. Is that, what, is that what it's called? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, in, when I, in South Africa, we call them gem squash. I don't, I don't know. Okay. What they're called over here. Um, um, a- acorn squash. Acorn. That's they acorn are, squash. They are acorn squash. Okay. So. That or butternut squash, for instance, that's very hard to eat those things raw. Um, I know, for instance, most people bake sweet potatoes and eat those cooked also. My grandmother happens to be, she would chop up raw, um, would chop up raw sweet potatoes and serve them raw. They taste almost, they have like almost like a cabbage-like taste to them. Um, but, but, but most people don't eat it that way. So it would be a shahako, it would not be, it would not be a bari priyadama. Um, okay, so... The seven species of fruit are only considered important when they're eaten in their normally edible form. So a seven species of fruit, even eaten in an unusual form, has no precedence over any other food. So uh, raw olives, right? So for example, underdeveloped grapes, which require ha'adama, not, which require ha'adama, not ha'ates, which we'll discuss later, do not have the status of the shavas aminim and need not be given precedence over other foods. And similarly, one who eats wheat flour, um, requires only a shahakal, as will be noted in the introduction to chapter eight. Um, that's that that particular type of um, issue is very significant when you're trying to figure out what bracha to make on what bracha to make on uh, on uh, um, uh, uh, on cereals. Um, cereals cereals um, are also you know uh, uh, sometimes made with uh, utilizing uh, grains or things like that in a way that they're not normally consumed. Um, so either they're, either they're roasted when they're not usually roasted or they're raw when they're usually served cooked and that type of thing. So when you have that in a cereal, it doesn't make the cereal mazonos. The cereal would still be a shahako. So the, the, that's where that becomes significant. So, okay. Drinks made of the shivas aminim of seven species of fruit are not considered shivas aminim. So if you make a drink, if you make a, 
if you make a juice out of uh, out of figs um, or out of dates, and those are the only two that I can think of of the shows. I mean, I mean, grapes, obviously, grapes, it is normal to, that is considered a, a shows, I mean, type of fruit, because that's the way it's normally consumed. But if you would make a, if you would make a juice, if you would juice figs or dates or pomegranates for that matter, you would not, they would not be considered shows, and they would not make a berry per eight, you would make a shahako on them. Um, okay, a secondary idea of things that are, that are considered more, one more kosher than another. So we talked about Shevas You also have something is whole. If you have a whole apple versus a, a cut up for, uh, orange, for instance, right? Oranges are usually eaten slice by slice. And if somebody cuts them up, so it's different. So Chazal consider a whole fruit as being of greater significance than an incomplete fruit. And therefore, a bracha should be re- recited on a whole fruit rather than an incomplete one. Um Yes, so so you you have many situations where that might come up, and the same thing when it comes to food and drinks. In the opinion of some authorities, a bracha on food takes precedence over a bracha on drinks. However, a bracha on food or drink take precedence over a bracha on a pleasant fragrance. Um, you have to make a, a bracha, let's say, on smelling something like cinnamon sticks. The shiloh, whether or not you have to make a bare atze besamim, or when somebody likes if somebody likes the aroma of coffee. That also would require that would also would require a bracha. Pashas it should be a bariatse besamim also. That's simple, but we'll get to that bracha soon. Now, the third category of things that give things a precedence is um, the preference of what the person wishes to eat. One who specifically desires a certain food should recite the bracha on their food which is desirable to him. And reciting the bracha on the most desirable food demonstrates a certain covet for that bracha. That also shows a respect for the bracha more than, than anything else. So Postum defined Chaviv as the food one usually prefers, even though at the moment he may prefer a different food. And that's a very fascinating different difference over here. Let's say I really, really like French fries, right? But today, I'm not really in the mood for the French fries. Today, I really want to eat my coleslaw first. But the halacha is that since normally I eat French fries, according to some Postum at least, um, since normally I eat French fries over coleslaw, I should make the Bariprayadama on the French fries, not on the coleslaw. Other posts can disagree with this definition. In their view, the food one prefers at the moment is considered chaviv, regardless of what one may generally prefer, and doesn't, it does, doesn't really go into that. This seems to be a debate amongst the Rishonim, Amachlokas, um, the Rambam, and the Rush. We'll, we'll talk about those, the names of those opinions a little bit later, another time. Since the Shulchan Aruch follows the first opinion, which is the opinion of the Rambam, one should give precedence to that food which he usually usually desires. However, one who wishes to follow the second opinion, wants to follow the opinion of the Rush, um, may do so, may do so, and uh, follow that follow that opinion. The Mishabur seems to uh, give room for either one. So, getting to be much more practical, a little bit more hands-on with regards to this, we're on page 157, Practical Applications, the order of precedence for one who wishes to recite one bracha on two foods. I have two foods in front of me, and I want to know which one should I make a bracha on. What do I do? So one who wishes to eat two foods requiring the same bracha must recite the bracha on the food which is of greater significance. So I have a big steak in front of me, and next to the steak, they also put on my plate, um, if they find something else that's a shahako, what, would they, what, might, what they might have put on the, on the table. Um, they, let's say a mashed potatoes made from a powder, 
I'll just use that example, even though it's a little bit of a complex example, but mashed potatoes made from a powder served together with my served together with my steak. I have to make shahako on one of them. It's definitely preferable, as good as those mashed potatoes might be, and no matter what gravy they mixed into them, but but it's definitely preferable to make the bracha on the steak. So one demonstrates respect for the bracha when one recites the bracha on the more important of the two foods, and reciting the bracha on the food of lesser importance is really a, a show of uh, shows a lack of respect for that bracha. So one who wishes to eat a food from among the shivas haminim and another food should recite the bracha on the shivas haminim on the seven species that Eretz Yisrael is blessed with, even if he prefers the other food. So here he's saying again we have two conflicting. Uh, uh, rules, general principles that tell me which bracha to make first. One is that I, the bracha has to be made on whichever thing I prefer the most. The second principle is that I should make a bracha on shivas haminim first because shivas haminim are in themselves. The Torah gives them a special a special uh, dispensation, special uh, uh, powers to be considered the more chashiv bracha. So a person should make a bracha on the shivas haminim first. So he's saying that the Mishabura rules that the, the, the Shivas Haminim takes precedence over the thing which is Chaviv, or if the other food, even if the other food is Shalin. So, um, so even if the food which is not of the Shivas Haminim is both Chaviv and Shalin, Shivas Haminim outweighs it. One nevertheless recites the bracha on the Shivas Haminim food first. One goes with one's pomegranate seeds are, def- are preferable over a whole, uh, another type of fruit, and that's say an apple, which is whole, and I really want the apple more than I want the pomegranates, you should still make a bracha on the pomegranates first. And you should make a very prayer eights, and both of that way be yotze, both of them. If both foods are of the shivas haminim, of course, as we mentioned before, when both foods are made of the same, are also are of the shivas haminim, one recites the bracha on the food listed first in the Torah, according to the following. First come grains, then fruits, and the fruits are in the order of olives, dates, grapes, figs, and then pomegranates. If both foods are either of the same species, of the shivas haminim, fruits, or both foods are not of the shivas haminim, one may recite the bracha on whichever fruit is whole, regardless of which one fruit one desires. If you have cut up pieces of orange and a whole apple, and you want both an apple and an orange, even if you want the orange more than you want the apple, the fact that the apple is whole that is a reason to go with the apple more than more than the oranges, as long as you want both of them eventually. If both foods are whole or both foods are cut, one recites the bracha on the food one generally prefers. Ultimately, if both of them are cut up, then I will always make a bracha on the food that I prefer most first, whichever one happens, happens to be. One who fails to adhere to the, to, the, to the rule set forth above and recites the bracha on the inferior food may not be permitted to use that bracha on the more important food. So what he's saying with that is as follows. We'll see this, we'll see a further discussion of this, but let's say a person has in front of him an apple and a carrot. And he really, really, really wants to eat the apple. And then for whatever reason, he ends up picking up the carrot and making a barepri adama on the carrot. Um, so essentially, he has broken multiple rules by doing that. First of all, he's making a barepri adama before he's making a barepri eight. He's making a bracha on, and let's say the carrot was cut up, on a cut up carrot before he, before he makes a bracha on a, on a whole apple. And the fact of the matter is he really wanted the apple more than he wanted the carrot. 
and you always have to go with what's Chaviv, Chaviv has, has to take a has to has to take precedence. He didn't do that, so that is extremely problem problematic. Okay, now. What about the practical applications of the sequence of brachos for one who wishes to see two foods with different brachos? Let's have in front of me something that is a bari mazonos. I have a, a cracker in front of me. And I also have, um, I also have, let's say, let's for, for the purposes of this example, let's just say a cup of yogurt, right? So now the yogurt is a shahakol. The cracker is a bari mazonos. Really, I want the yogurt more than I want the cracker. What am I supposed to do? So if two foods one is eating require separate brachos, many authorities maintain that one may recite a bracha first on either food, whichever one I want. Most posts, however, maintain that one should recite the bracha first on the more important food. You should go with the cracker before you go to that yogurt. In their view, choosing the more important food for the first bracha demonstrates kavod for Hashem. I'm showing a certain respect for Hashem by going ahead and eating from the tower, making and and uh, uh, um, um, uh, making that bracha that that demonstrates a higher level of respect. However, later authorities rule that one should follow the second option. Um, follow the second option. Um, which is that the proper sequence of the brachos would be as follows. First, bread, which requires hamotzi, would go first, and included in that would be wheat bread, barley bread, spelt bread, rye bread, um, etc. Uh, oat bread, all those things should be, those the brachos will go on those first. Or similarly, if there was cake, we're requiring amazonos made from any of the five species, five species of grain, that would also be an issue. Why The reason why we limit it to five species of grain, by the way, is because there are two more species, two more uh, subcategories of uh, grain-like grain-like substances. Um, they're used as a staple in the same way. We make a brain Amazonas on them, but they're not as chashit. And that is millet and rice. Millet and rice. The, the, um, the, the Hebrew words are orez v'dochen. Um, those two, despite the fact that you, one does make a mazonas on them, since not, one does not make a bracha chron on them, so we are uh, we we uh, um, they they are they're not they don't fit under the category of the chameshes mine dagon of the five different types of grains, cooked grains or cereals requiring amazonas made of either wheat barley spelt or rye are the second most important thing, and then comes wine, then rice or millet which require amazonas because they require amazonas amazonas upgrades them upgrades them as a bracha. Um, over and above any types of fruits, even fruits that are of the Shevas Aminim. The next type of thing that one has to make a brach on would be the fruits of the Shevas Aminim, and in the order of olives first, then dates, then grapes, figs, and then pomegranates. Other fruits or vegetables requiring ha'et or adama, respectively, and the order of their precedence between fruits and vegetables will be discussed in the following section. Then, once you've made all those brachos, now you're ready to have foods that require shahakol, and then drinks that require shahakol, and then one can make a bracha on any sort of fragrance, anything that one has there at the table in order to provide a pleasant uh, odor or something like that, or some of the, maybe the smell enhances the, enhances the meal somehow. One could do that. One could do that afterwards. Okay. Um, okay. Now, the fourth 
uh, area that we have to deal with are the practical applications, the sequence of the brachos for one who wishes to eat a fruit and a vegetable. So this is a little bit more complex because fruits and vegetables technically both grow from the ground. And as such, if I make a bracha bari pri ha'adama, I have fulfilled my obligation for both of them at the same time. What happens if I have in front of me apples and carrots and I really want to eat the carrots? I don't really want the apple. Can I make the bracha on the carrots, which is the chav, which is what we call chaviv, and we said that that has very high precedence, before I make a bracha on the apple, but if I do that, making a bracha on the apple afterwards is going to be problematic because there's no need for that bracha, because the bracha that you made on the carrots really covered both of them. Okay. Um... Okay, so in the previous sections, we have learned the order of preference for the different types of brachos. As noted above, a bracha which is restricted to one type of food or to a limited variety of foods is recited before a bracha which is more general. Right, The more specific the bracha, the more important, the higher it goes up on our totem pole. The bracha bari pri ha'etz, which is the bracha that Hashem created the fruits of the trees, is more exclusive than Borei Prihadama, that Hashem has brought out produce from the ground. The ground, that's a very generalized concept that really includes everything that's on trees as well. Um, so, since Ha'etz is limited to fruits of a tree only, while Ha'adama is effective for vegetables and fruits. Um, so nevertheless, since this difference is minor, one cannot conclusively state that Ha'etz, that making a brach of Ha'etz is more important than Ha'adama. And therefore, the other factors have to be considered as well. What are the other factors? Whether it's chaviv, it's something that I really desire more. I want the carrots more than I want the apples. And shalem, whether or not it's whole. And, of course, shiva saminim, which, we're, which is not, uh, which is not uh, what we're doing here. So those are going to be the defining factors for deciding what, which one to make the bracha on. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a break over here. Um, we'll come back to this idea of um, practical application of sequences of Hadama and Ha'etz and what, what, which things I have to take into consideration because there are actually six conditions um, that I want to take into, into consideration. And um, I'd like to start off fresh when everybody's, uh, when everybody's um, bright, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, right? When we're, everybody's alert and we'll start it from there. So we're going to pick up Mitzvah Shem tomorrow again on page one fifty nine with the with the fruits and vegetables and which bracha comes first. Okay, thank you very much, everybody. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good night.